Well, the um, message which I'm going to bring you this morning, I've entitled, The Beginning of Wisdom is the Fear of God. A couple of months ago, I came close to being scammed, purely from a telephone cold call. 45 minutes worth of conversation over three calls, and I was genuinely considering handing over money for an investment opportunity. Now, thankfully, I did figure it out. I asked enough questions, questions that weren't really being addressed. And I also tried to verify the existence of the company, their, their physical address, etc. And I began to realise that the dots weren't all connecting. It was a pretty good one, though. It was pretty convincing. But <coughs> this got me thinking about belief, about how lies propagate and grow, about how, despite the fact that we are all intelligent people, or I'd like to think we all are, we can come to believe in things which are false. There are many things I once believed that I no longer do. I once believed that pornography wasn't such a bad thing. I once believed that abortion was a valid option for birth control. I once believed that the world was billions of years old and that evolution theory was a required component of the wonder of God's creation. Most of my beliefs which have changed over the years came from the wisdom and experience that occurs passively, just with, with age, with experience. Some of them were changed through study and active thought, and some of my false beliefs were corrected by learning things the hard way. That is, that I had to go through periods of suffering caused by poor choices and actions that, at the time, I could not see the end result of where these choices would lead me. One thing which has become absolutely certain to me over my life is that the word of God revealed to us in the Bible is absolutely true. All of it. If you believe in something which doesn't agree with what's in the Bible, then you believe in something that isn't true. There are many TV shows and movies and other media sources that portray biblical defenders as ignorant. For example, a teenager asks a preacher a question that he doesn't have an answer for. Uh, the response would be, how dare you? How dare you question the word of God? And I hate to say it, that, but there are probably truly God-fearing, faithful people who do respond in this way. But this is not the right attitude to have. Or I don't believe it's the right attitude to have. It is good to question the Bible. Because it's only through understanding that someone's mind can be changed on certain topics. If there is no understanding, then some people's minds will remain closed on the matter. They'll get stuck in that circle of thought. Doesn't make sense. Therefore... It's wrong. 
and there are some pretty common lists of objections that people will throw at you. Oh, what about this? What about that? This is why it is vital as a defender of faith to be reading your Bible every week, every day. Join a Bible study. Get involved. Be prepared to give an answer. You could be that difference between someone reaching a point of faith and continuing to live in darkness. Now I need to go off topic a little bit here and point out though there are some people that you should not waste your time on. Or at least I believe there are some people who, who you shouldn't put the effort into. I said that there are some common lists of objections that people throw around. Some people are looking for the answers. Some people are not looking for answers. Their list of objections is just a source of ammunition that they use to keep their minds and their hearts closed. It's, it can be easy to spot these people sometimes because when I use the term ammunition, I was using it in a kind of literal sense. They will fire off those objections. Boop, 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 boop. They don't pause to absorb or digest the responses that you give. So from Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Or in Matthew 10, 14, If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. So now getting back on track to the mind and how it works, how you, how you can be convinced of things which are not true. You might have heard the term before about footholds in the mind. That is, the more you think on a topic, the more you meditate on something. Um, by the word, by, by the way, when I use the word meditate, if you watch TVs and movies, you might think that meditate uh, is to do with other religions, uh, sitting cross-legged and om, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, if you're thinking of the biblical use of the word, uh, the biblical use of the word can often mean to make muttering or groaning noises as you wrestle with an idea in your mind. What I mean when I'm using the word meditate, um, and it's actually the uh, current definition in the English dictionary, uh, is that it's when you engage in thought and contemplation. So when I say, when I use the word meditate, I'm meaning that you're actually sinking sitting and thinking and properly trying to sort things out through your mind. The more you meditate on a subject, the more of a foothold it gains. Thoughts are like seeds. They grow if you water them. So God warns us to be careful of our thoughts. I do promise I will get to this. <laughs> It might be a bit confusing right now, but it, it does have relevance. So in Proverbs 4, 
23 to 7 reads, More than anything you guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. Have nothing to do with a corrupt mouth. Keep devious lips far from you. Focus your eyes straight ahead. Keep your gaze on what is in front of you. Watch your feet on the way and all your paths will be secure. Don't deviate a bit to the left or to the right. Turn your feet away from evil. Now, some of you might notice that I'm actually being a little bit hypocritical here. I said earlier that it is good to question God's word. And now here is this Bible verse saying, do not deviate to the left or the right. So let me clarify. When you question God's word, when you meditate on the world and how it all works, make sure that you are using critical thinking. Critical thinking means to analyse and evaluate. If something doesn't make sense to you in the Bible, study it, research it in a group or online, or even study it prayerfully on your own. But here's the critical thing. Do not do it from an emotional state. Emotions lie. Jeremiah 17.9 reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I do personally know more than one person who lives their life angry at God. They have belief, or that is, they started from a position of belief, but their life hasn't turned out the way they wanted it. They've had some bad things happen to them. They struggle with family or work or finances. And in their anger, they go down that rabbit hole that is the internet, which is absolutely chock full of conspiracy theories and being led by their emotional state their minds end up in a place which is very far from reality it is a very paradoxical thing to be both angry at God while simultaneously declaring that he isn't real so when you're meditating or pondering on life and its complexities, ask yourself, is this something I want to believe or is this something that I understand? Right at the start, I mentioned that I was almost conned by a scam artist. Now, con artists try to convince you of something which isn't real. They play to our desires, telling us what we want to hear. In my case, he was dangling that carrot of wealth. Big returns in a short time span. And that's part of the reason I realised it was a con. Whenever I asked about other options, a slower and safer path of investing, he would steer the conversation back to the fast track. He was stuck on a script. He had one lie to push, just one story to tell. 
Now we do, I would ask that we be considerate um, of, of con artists out there because the truth is some of them don't even realise that they are con artists. When you get a call from an Indian call centre telling you that they work for Telstra and are trying to help you with your computer problems, quite often that first level of contact, they themselves have been conned. They've been trained up by people wearing Telstra shirts in a room that has Telstra logos on the walls. If they believe they're working for Telstra, they're going to put more heart and soul into trying to help you because they believe that's what they're doing. Now, I know I seem to be going on and on about, about con artists, but please bear with me, I am leading up to the point, and the, the point is this, if someone believes a lie, they are much more likely to propagate that lie, to spread it through teaching, through training. If a teacher believes something, that is what they're going to teach. We've seen recently more and more ideas coming into schools that deny God as authority. The current idea that is gaining traction, gaining footholds in people's minds, is that your created state can be changed. That your feelings, that your heart is the authority. God is not the authority, the heart is the authority. That's what's being taught. And I might recommend here, if you haven't watched, uh, there's a very good speaker called Martin Isles. Uh, he has a free video titled Babylon, uh, which, is, which is online. It's, it, like I said, it's free on YouTube. He speaks very eloquently about how we, as a society in general, are replacing God with our own authority. If you are not guided by God, you will be guided by someone or something else. I'd like to show you an example. Um, this book, this book was bought for me by a family member, God bless them, they thought it was a great gift for me. And, and it is a good gift. Uh, but it's not something that uh, I would give my complete trust in. Um, it's the thought that counts, as they say. Uh, this book is a printed version of a very popular ABC TV show, The Story of Christianity. Now, I would like to ask a question. Feel free to shout out and answer. Can anyone see straight away from the, from the title what's wrong? story. Not the history of Christianity, the story of Christianity. Straight off the bat, there's the implication, the idea being planted that it's made up, that it's not real. And I would also like to read out an excerpt from the introduction of this. I haven't read this book in full. I'm sure I will eventually, but just let me read you just a short bit from the introduction. And from the introduction, the author 
sorry, not the author of the book, but the author of the introduction, clearly has a bone to pick with the church. He admits his personal anger towards what he sees as a lost childhood, with the guilt of sin robbing him of joy and the message of salvation escaping him. But the quote is this. Were the contradictions never to be pointed out until we ourselves dared raise them, only to be pitied and dismissed? Simple answers never addressed until we had to shut them into the void. How did Cain and Abel get children? Who here knows the answer to that one? Yep, I see a few hands, I see a few nod raises. General question, how many children did Adam and Eve have? Many. They had many. Um, there's some 30-odd men listed by name. Uh, of course, no one's going to have all boys. It's very unlikely. I know a family that's had three girls in a row. But um, if you make the assumption that they had equal number of boys and girls, that's 60 children all up. And that, that answer, it's on page 5. If you open up your Bible, you get to the answer by page 5. <coughs> so here we have commentary from someone who doesn't understand and hasn't reached beyond page five themselves. When I was new to Christianity as a teenager, I had someone challenge me with that same question. I didn't have an answer for him at the time, and that was good enough for him. No answer, it didn't make sense, he could be, go on believing that it was all hogwash. I started this sermon telling you about a con man who was dangling the carrot of wealth. Why is, why is wealth so attractive? Well, it means we will, or we should at least, be comfortable. The carrot of atheism can also has, have a sense of comfort attached to it. With no consequence of sin, there is the freedom to avoid change, to continue living however you please. The hook is that you are appealing to emotional thinking, not critical thinking. And likewise, we, we have here this lavishly illustrated book with its own TV series, with commentary by an adult of authority who has proven in his opening statements that he doesn't understand, he is speaking from a viewpoint of emotional arguments. He hasn't even made it to page five of the Bible. So I want to repeat, if you are not guided by God, you will be guided by someone or something else. The ideas being presented to us in the news, in schools, in our online and TV viewing, if they don't seem to align with God's word, make sure that you think about them to their logical conclusion. Make sure you understand them. Don't get conned by that emotional carrot being dangled in front of you. 
because the person propagating the lie might not even realize that they're part of the con themselves. I'll wrap this up now with just one more concept of logic that helps to determine fact from fiction. If you are falling off a cliff, it is better to have weak faith in a strong branch than to have strong faith in a weak branch. I'll explain the analogy. It's very similar to the parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. If you believe in something that isn't true, it will eventually fail you. Say you're 20 years old. You've moved out of home and through a bad accident you get a tooth knocked out. That night you put that tooth under your pillow. Doesn't matter how much faith you have in the tooth fairy, it doesn't matter how strong your conviction of belief, you are not going to wake up with any money under your pillow in the morning. That tooth is still going to be there. If you grab onto that weak branch, it's going to snap. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it will eventually fail you. You build your house on the sand, it's going to get washed away. God's word is the strong branch. Even if your faith is small, it will support you. I'd like to uh, finish this sermon now in prayer. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for this building and the ability for us to meet here. We pray for our hearts and our minds to be opened, but opened to the truth, opened to your truth. We pray that your spirit would guide us and lead us in our understanding, help us to understand those things that don't quite make sense to us, help us to have the, the boldness to reject things which do not match your word. We pray this for your son, Jesus' name. Amen.